Cinderella, funny fella, running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head, and nobody answered me. This is Bruce. This is John. And this is Blakes. Welcome to another Fringeworthy podcast. Thank you for joining us again. We're going to be talking about some really cool equipment this week, what we're referring to as less than lethal uh, weaponry and deterrence. The reason that we're talking about this is, unlike so many other games out there, you are an explorer who's actually working for an organization that has very strong humanitarian goals. They have a, a very strong stance on the killing of people, especially so-called innocents. So therefore, this is a game where it would really be an advantage to your character in, in the role-playing aspect to try to not hurt people or kill them unless you absolutely had to. Now, we're using a system here. Uh, our standard system is V20 Modern, so therefore it's all set up to do combat. So we expect there to be combat in the game, and of course there always will be conflict in the game. Not everything can be dealt with through negotiations. But it doesn't mean that you have to use lethal methods to resolve the conflicts when there are alternatives. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Blix, you've gone through a portal, and what kind of situations would cause an unexpected and undesirable conflict where uh, you might need to fight, but you really wouldn't want to. Well, let's say one of your team members inadvertently breaks a law that um, he had no idea was a law. Like you go into some world where, where you're, you're, you've come across some society where they have some crazy law that you didn't know about, and one of your members has broken it. Maybe you're in a Puritan society, and one of your members is a female, and she has pants on. Uh, you know, the cops are looking to arrest her and, and maybe you guys as well. And you don't really want to kill the police because they're just doing their job and you're there just as an observer or you're maybe you're aiding uh, another team or, or, or hunting down a meller or something. But you don't want to get into a conflict with the cops. Uh, a less than lethal round would be excellent for this because you could take the police out and then move on and hopefully they won't find you when they wake up. Rescue a sacrifice victim from like a minor ceremony. Well, yeah, there's a lot of people down there who are, even though he's going, to, he was going to be killed, they're basically just following the religion, and it's not worth you know mowing them down with machine guns. You may want to consider tossing a few tear gas grenades or using rubber bullets on them. And isn't there also the possibility that because people might fear you because of your unusual dress? or because of the, maybe the vehicles or equipment you're using, they might, out of fear, attack you just because they feel threatened. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, if you pope into a primitive society in, in a uh, Humvee or something equivalent to it, uh, yeah, folks are going to look at you askance and 
not know what to do with you, and they may even attack you with their obsidian spears or with their bows and arrows. That's where, you know, if you want to make a good impression, probably lobbing a few BZ grenades out there. Now, uh, BZ is a uh, type of gas that's based off of everyone's favorite hallucinogen since Timothy Leary, LSD, and sends the people into la-la land. Now, Blix, in our country, if someone goes and attacks you, you can't just go and pull out a gun and shoot them, right? No. Aren't there laws that say that you can only use the minimum required in order to defend yourself? That's true. And actually, you know, it varies from state to state. But I live in Maryland. And in Maryland, it's near impossible to get a a concealed carry permit. It's possible, but it's, it's very, very difficult. And it's extremely expensive. Maryland's very tough on gun gun law enforcement. If somebody breaks into your house and you have an escape route, you're supposed to take it and not shoot the person. Like, for example, if it turns out that you could have gotten out of your house without encountering that person and you actually stayed and shot them instead, you could get in trouble. Uh, Another thing is if they turn and run, even if they turn just as you're pulling the trigger, if you hit somebody in the back... Um, it's very likely you're going to get into a lot of trouble because you're shooting them in the back. And in Maryland, they're very strict on that kind of stuff. I mean, I think Texas is probably the polar opposite of that. But, yeah, definitely. You pull out a gun in Maryland and shoot somebody, and, and in most states, um, you're going you're gonna to be facing some serious trouble. Right. So, so John, let, let's, let's look at the worst-case scenario. Let's assume that you went and went to a world and you got attacked by some locals. And who actually has some kind of a legal system. And you killed some of them, all right? Mm-hmm. And they capture you. And they bring you up before their version of the magistrate. What do you think is going to happen to you? Well, if there's good evidence against me, probably I'll be you know hung by the neck until I'm dead, dead, dead. But if you use a method of defending yourself that was non-lethal, mm-hmm. what do you think your punishment would be then? That's a good question. It depends on whether or not they recognize the difference between less than lethal weapons versus lethal weapons. You know, if I fire a beanbag uh, round at somebody and knock him down, uh, that would probably crack a few ribs, and it would be equivalent of a salt and battery. Right. Well, let's just say they do recognize the difference. Then it would go from me being charged with a capital crime, which is what murder usually always is, to uh, assault of some sort. I'll be you know, guilty of assault. So if you use a non-lethal form of defense or even attack that is recognized by law to be a non... Uh, with the intent of not killing somebody, then if you got arrested or captured, it's more likely that they wouldn't kill you out of hand. They would perhaps imprison you, enslave you, cause restitution, and therefore it would give your team time to rescue you, right? Oh, yeah. Or pay the fine. But there's no going back once they put the put you to death, right? Mm. <laughs> Depends on the world, but in most cases, no. <laughs> right. So well, let's let's look at another aspect of it. Um, let's say you're, you know, just from the, the role-playing aspect of it, you know, not, not any kind of advantage or, or uh, trying to keep yourself from being, you know, incarcerated or put to death yourself. But let's say you're playing characters who are scientists or who have a sci- scientific nature, and they don't want to kill anybody. You know, they may be forced to go save their friend who's been captured by some warlord or something, even in a violent situation where it would be righteous to kill 
uh, to retreat be your friend, they still may not want to kill people because it may not be in, you know, in the character makeup. Right. A lot of characters would find it offensive to lower yourself to using that kind of brutality when they could use something that would, you know, be more of an expression of their mind, some kind of knockout gas that could do the same job without them becoming brutes like the people that were attacking them. That's from an old H.G. Wells movie, Things to Come, and they had a thing called The Gas of Peace. Which, unfortunately, did prove to be le- uh, less than lethal. It, it killed at least one person in the movie. <laughs> but it was like 100% effective at knocking anyone out. You just pass out, but that's all you did. You just went to sleep. In the the comics and the uh, role-playing game uh, Judge Dredd, they had sturm gas that also had the similar effect. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, as you said, using some kind of a gas to knock out your enemies is actually a staple of science fiction and something that... Uh, GM should feel quite bold about using. And of course, there's also the other staples of gases, tear gas, vomit gas, tear and vomit gas, good old-fashioned pepper spray. If you're going to equip your character for day-to-day use, having a little pepper spray can on your waistband, on your belt, just in case. You can just go through and go right in someone's face. It'd save you from being captured by lots of people at that point. Well, and it's not only good against characters, it's also very effective against animal attacks. In a lot of worlds you go to, you're going to be in wildernesses, and it's quite possible you might run into some predatory animals. Uh, another use for uh, less than lethal would be, as we've talked many times about capturing animal samples, you know, you may not want to shoot this strange creature that you're going to try and bring back alive. You know, you might want to hit him with some, hit him with a bean bag to stun him and then get down and rope him up. We talked about earlier about first contact. It's quite possible that the person that we might most want to meet and, and have a conversation with may be surrounded with guards may be surrounded with their family, be afraid of us and unwilling to come, well, we could overcome those objections using a non-lethal device. And a lot of the people that we might want to talk to, if they found that we killed their guards and or, and or their family and retainers just so we could talk to them, they would probably be pretty unwilling to be on our side. Oh, yeah. So cultivating these techniques as part of your defensive posture, uh, is probably very effective in, in bringing about the success on a lot of missions overall. I have a question. If you were to hit uh, a Meller who was in a form, let's say, you know, one of your buddies or something, he was impersonating one of your buddies and you suspected it, and you shot him in the back, <laughs> shot him in the back with a beanbag, could that force his transformation inadvertently, like cause him to uh, inadvertently shift it's well known that when Meller are attacked, there's like an 80% chance that they will spontaneously revert to their normal form because their rage will, will trigger the transformation. That's where I was going with that. Right. It's like, let's say you suspected one of them and you, you pop them in the back and catch them off guard. But if you totally uh, knock them out, then I would say, no, they'd just be laying there unconscious. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking that would be a good test for, for uh, <laughs> if you didn't knock him out, it would be a good test to see if something, because if a guy got up and you're like, oh, sorry, man, I, I thought maybe he was a Miller. Yeah. No, no, that's... that's, that's <laughs> well, if you're going to use that kind of test, I hope you use less than lethal method. <laughs> yeah, right. 
And I actually probably would use the taser for that. Uh, taser would be more likely to cause the change. Yeah, that was that was something I had I have been mulling around in my head for years. And you know, the, when I talked to my my friend John, who usually does the, the game mastering for us, he didn't know the answer to it, so he just went ahead with it and said, "Okay, sure, that works." But could electricity force a change in a miller, whether they wanted to or not? Or is it, I mean, is it just basically only their only their internal willingness to do it that ch- causes the change? Well, there's no rules in the game that says one way or another about this. I mean, you know, being able to force somebody to do something. I suppose that if the game mechanic was linked it to some kind of intimidation role where mm-hmm. you force somebody to, to reveal something, then maybe so. Uh, I, I really don't know. Yeah, uh, I was thinking of it like on a biological scale. Like, would the electricity actually force the change? Like, could it? Oh, I, would I, say, I would say no. They are essentially biological computers. So unless something causes the change to occur, their body gets new instructions, Mm -hmm. Uh, they are going to continue just the way they are. Okay. Well, that makes sense. You know, we we just didn't know. We we thought about it, and I think for the fun of it, we just said, okay, yeah, sure, that works. You know, so any time someone was suspected of being a miller, they got tased, which was uh, was kind of funny, actually. No, I'm not. Please don't tase me. Stop tasing me, please. (laughs) Right. Right. So, so basically, as far as we're concerned, no is the answer. Yeah. Well, remember that the Meller are fearless because they know that Tweedledee, their Tweedledum is something else, some other Tweedledee. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I, at least one of the stories that I've written, or at least played off of, a Meller can go insane. So, I mean, in a sense, they already are insane. So, therefore, it is possible for a Meller to become deranged enough that something like this could trigger it, but this would be a GM decision. It wouldn't be built into the game mechanics. Gotcha. Okay. Very good. A beanbag, either shotgun or various devices, do about 2D10 and non-lethal damage. So that would take an average person down in one shot, your average average mook. But for an advanced character, it hurt, but they'd still be able to keep on going. Depends on the system that you're using. And I don't even know how um, Savage Worlds treats things like non-lethal damage, so... Approach the same way. You, you, you do damage until you pass out. We're going to talk about a lot of different types of devices, and I haven't taken the time to go and see whether or not they're represented in the D20 Modern book. I suspect that with all the supplements out there for D20 and D20 Modern, that a lot of these things we're talking about actually have game representations. We're going to list these things on our uh, web notes. And anybody who knows a particular book where they're defined, we really appreciate you sending in an email to us and letting us know, and we'll attribute that to you. People, when they come to our website um, and they look at these kinds of things, they'll have a reference as to where they can find it, what kind of books they need in order to really see this. Unless, of course, their GM just simply wants to deal with it himself. It's entirely up to them. But uh, a lot of these devices are going to be, these methods are going to be rather exotic. So they, we may have to create these things at some point to provide a consistent representation of them. Yeah. Now, pepper spray and tasers are actually in the modern uh, D20 book, so you should be able to find them in there. And they basically are, as we said, you do, in both of our fortitude saves is to either get blinded or to uh, uh, pass out. Okay. Okay. Well, right. let's, uh, let's see. What do, we, what do we want to talk about first? 
All right. Well, why don't we talk about devices that can be used at least first against animals? Okay. All right. One of the first ones uh, I think of is the loop on the pole. Oh yeah. This is a capture device. It's used to uh, keep an animal from getting too close to you, so that you know they can't you know they can't hurt you. It, uh, they use them on snakes. They use them on a lot of animals, uh, dogs moving animals from a pen to another location. What you have here is a loop on a pole, but really when we're talking about D20 Modern, we're talking about a rope use check. You're essentially using a rope use to to successfully loop this over somebody. It would be like a grapple uh, attempt. So that would be a a fairly simple thing to do as long as opponent can't cut the rope. And when I say rope, I mean it's probably not going to be rope. It's probably going to be a cable with a plastic sheath around it Mm-hmm. So once you get it around someone's neck and, and cinch it tight, it's pretty much that unless that creature can literally break the pole or overpower you physically, you've got them good. And it has the advantage of it's got distance. It is a pole arm, so you have reach with it. Oh, yeah. If you're in a world somewhere and you want to get a hold of one, you don't have one, you didn't bring one with you or whatever, it's a standard staple for any dog catcher, and you can find them in any zoo. Right, mm-hmm. and, and they, they're easily constructed. I mean, anybody who's got weaponsmithing or anything like that would easily be able to construct one of these things in a minimal amount of time. You could go lethal with this thing. I, I imagine you could probably choke somebody to death with this with this device as well. I mean, I don't. Do they have um, in the D twenty modern? Do they have rules on choking people with a with a say a garrot? I believe there is actually uh, rules for using garrots. We're talking, I guess, a normal person, a non-heroic person. Yeah, it'd be effective, but it would take so many rounds against right. a hero that it's really not a very effective technique. Well, no. No, if you, well, I think you're not doing damage to them, though. You'd be, you'd, they'd be forced to make like a uh, fortitude save to pass or pass out from the blood, from the loss of blood. Well, if, if you were garroting them using a device that's supposed to be a garrot, then it would probably be also be cutting into your flesh. But yeah. Um, well, now, the sorry. idea is we're talking about non-lethal things or less than lethal things. Right. Now, I was, I was just talking about, like, for example, if you were, if you had one of those or you construct yourself one of those and you were trying to sneak in somewhere and you wanted to take a guard out, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily have to kill him, but you could choke him into unconsciousness with it. And that's a good technique. There's a number of classes that, that do very well with those kinds of things. Uh, the classic D&D uh, thief class, I believe, had, had that, you know, as, as one of their favorite weapons. So... Okay, uh, another possibility for keeping animals at bay is the uh, old-fashioned electric fence. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, especially if you're on a world that's never seen electricity, using a device such as this that provides a relatively low-grade shock, uh, perhaps combined with a string of barbed wire, can really be effective at keeping even large predators at bay, bears, certainly uh, herd animals, as long as they're not startled and, and stampeding. I wouldn't use them against a rhinoceros or a, uh, a, an elephant, but something, you know, let's say steer size or smaller, this would be very effective. There's an interesting little bit of trivia. The folks at Walden, uh, Walden Pond, this is an old commune years ago, well, they decided to put up an electric fence to keep the sheep in. Turns out, Will's a great insulator. The sheep ignored the, the electric fence and went right over it. <laughs> be something that would act as an insulator uh, like as you said wool 
but just having like uh, plates on you, like let's say a low, uh, a small dinosaur or anything like that, they would still take the shock. Yeah. And uh, and as long as it didn't cause so much fear in them that they started thrashing about so much and and, and actually attacked or broke through it out of fear, uh, it would still be pretty effective. And it doesn't require a whole lot of power to make these things work. I mean, a car battery has enough oomph to do it as long as it's kept charged up by a small generator. And I'm sure that a a small battery of them, a small set of of batteries uh, powered by solar electric would also be very effective. Plus, I don't. I don't think there's a whole lot of energy loss because you you put them on a. I think you put them on a DC loop, so that your battery doesn't really. I mean, there's always loss, of course, but for the most part, it's not getting drained unless somebody's setting it off. Originally, they just simply set power through them, and the amount of of resistance of the wire itself was enough to essentially. It was the same as turning on a light. It just had power going through it. But now, wow. with our more effective type methods, we have devices now that can tell when a, a current is being drained out uh, whenever you make a physical contact and, you know, with the ground, uh, mm-hmm. that use them in our, uh, our sockets to keep us from electrocuting ourselves. Well, a simple device like that says, hey, this thing's made contact with something. There's now a power drain. Let's pump a lot more power into the system. Hmm. So it could be it could use very low power most of the time and have a, a nanosecond switch over to a serious surge of of shock value without using a whole lot of electricity. So that simple battery might be enough to run for days. Yeah, right. and, it's, and, it's, and, and in the future it'll be a kit you can get when you study go someplace and you figure there's be some critters out there. Well, I think that should be a kit that you can buy uh, get now requisition through IDES. Right, because we're. We're talking about some futuristic, you know, they're going to have some futuristic stuff because they're going to, A, they're going to have brought some stuff back and, yeah. you know, reverse engineered it and such. So that it's not unrealistic to have uh, nanowire, you know, something made of uh, carbon filament or carbon nanotubes because they are highly conductive. I'm still suggesting one more thing with your, with your fence. Hang some uh, tin cans or soda cans off of them because you may run into that critter that goes, oh, this is fun. And and you, know, you want some sort of warning, like cans jangling and making noises that there's someone playing with the fence. Well, not only that, but that might startle the animal too, and keep make that might be the that might be the deterrent for that animal. You know, you put a few pebbles inside of a tin can, and that scares most animals. Right. Well, there's a lot of things you can use as as a method of, of startling an animal besides you know the electricity itself that could be triggered by you know an electric fence. Lights, uh, for instance. Lights, especially at night. Yeah. A sudden flash of light really would very much startle an animal, especially if it was nocturnal. Yeah. <laughs> of course, be careful when you do this. If you're in an area where there's large herds and the lights come on, you may actually cause a stampede, and they, at that point, they don't care if they're getting shocked by the fence. They're going to go through it. So think ahead on that before you set these things up. Right. All these techniques can, of course, backfire on you. So, you know, there's no, there's no guaranteed technique. It's just... You know, you're trying to not cause unnecessary harm, pain, death, whatever, you know, murder, death, kill, whatever. Yeah. Okay. But in a lot of the same ideas, John, okay, with light, okay, there's also sound. Yeah. Uh, we already know that there's a number of uh, animals that hear frequencies that we can't hear. So, therefore, having either having something that constantly is putting out 
a frequency that's unpleasant to animals and keeping them away, or something that triggers whenever someone comes against something like a sensor wire or an electric fence, can be a very effective deterrent to keeping the animals away. Yeah. You want one that's tunable, though, because you may come to a world where the frequency you're throwing out may actually be attracting things and dis- discouraging them. So having a tunable device, you can change that tune to start driving away is probably desirable. That's where the uh, sudden the response type ones would probably be more effective than the ones yeah. that are on all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. The, the, same, mm-hmm. the same thing that scares away the dogs might attract all the mosquitoes in the neighborhood. Yeah, another device, if you want to capture animals, a favorite device of all, of course, is the infamous net gun. These are not simple things to carry around. They're fairly large devices and complex, and you have to pack them up properly. But, used effectively, they will snare an animal. There's typically four bolas at the, at the four corners of the net. They're used to weight the net down and, and also cause it to entangle the critter you're trying to grab. Uh, they would probably have to make like a DC-15 uh, dex check to not get ensnared by the net. Uh, but there's also larger nets. My, the favorite one in, in my mind is, is the infamous rocket net from Dakari, which covered an entire tree of monkeys. <laughs> uh, that, was a, that was a fun one. But, you know, <laughs> but yeah, handheld nets, are, they basically don't have much range. You're, you're talking, they, they typically are air fires using compressed air charge. And you probably got yourself maybe 20 feet range on one of them. Maybe 20 feet range. So you got to get nice and close to, be, to use one. Well, you can also hand throw them, which is helpful if you want to collect samples. Fish, yeah. animals of various kinds, insects. You know, there's lots of insects that have stingers and things like that that you wouldn't actually want to touch with your hands. You know, but you can capture them fairly easily in the net. It's also very good, as we were talking about, as a deterrent or to capture somebody that you don't want to hurt because nets tend to be made of soft, pliable materials that are tough enough not to be broken, but they, do, they tend not to harm people on contact. Well, plus you can also go even simpler. You don't even have to use, uh, don't even have to use a net. You could use the bolo, like you were saying. Um, now they can be lethal. Uh, there, there are many stuff reading, was reading about um, how they were used, and I, if one of those bullets hits you in the head just right, it could definitely take you out for good. Right. But I mean, that's what we're talking about. Less than lethal, it's possible to kill you, but they're designed to dis, you know, to disable you. Right. You know, we we know that a certain animals, fish, uh, seals, uh, porpoises, things like that, strangle themselves in fishing nets every year though the intent of the net is not just to that. In a game sense, we shouldn't really have to worry too much about that. Right, because I think, I don't know if D20 Modern has bolas in it, but or if any supplements have bolas in them, because you, know, you rarely see anybody use them, but I would imagine it wouldn't be too far of a stretch to make them non-lethal damage. It's going to be considered a an exotic weapon, first of all, and secondly, is it would be considered a grapple-type device. Unless, of course, you intentionally say that I want to use this as a means of uh, attacking somebody to harm them. Uh, for example, I believe that the bolos were originally designed as a means of killing birds. They would throw them into the air and strike birds with them because the ball spinning around, the birds couldn't anticipate which direction they were going to come from. They would dodge one way and then the other bolo coming from the other side would smack them, especially those that existed in large flocks so they could literally take this and throw it into a flock of birds, and they were assured of getting a few of them. Yeah. 
much more likely than if they were to throw, let's say, a rock. Well, that's a good question. I want to catch a bird, but it's a big bird, say the size of a, of a duck. Uh, how could I capture one and not hurt it? Use a taser. You could use a sleeping dart, a beanbag, a rubber bullet. Well, I'd say a beanbag or a bullet would probably kill the poor thing because, it, it, I mean, those things are just nasty as it, as it is right now. I mean, a net would work, too. Also, the big question is, does it land? If it lands on the ground, then it's easier to catch it that way than it would be if it's in flight. Well, I, I don't know. John, what are you thinking of? It's an aquatic animal like a duck. That tends to get a little bit more harder because you're out of your element, which is land, and that becomes a little bit more difficult. But you can probably still get with a net. I think, still think the net gun would probably be a good choice. Well, if it was in water, there's a possibility you could electrocute it. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Thinking like a low-powered concussion grenade. <laughs> that would Also very effective. Yeah, that would work. Drop it from the of course, sky. that would be the last sample you got for a few hours. <laughs> Everything in the neighborhood would clear out and do one of those up. And it, and it may not be too pretty of a sample when you get it. Yeah, well, <laughs> hopefully you didn't throw it that close. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so um, any other ideas about uh, ways of capturing animals? Things like the sticky foam uh, weapons. But sticky foam has some, its own problems, such as uh, it actually puts off a, a toxic gas as it, it degasses. At least the very original versions did. I think the newer versions actually are less than lethal in their gases, but you still can kill somebody by spraying their face with right. the stuff. So you're talking about uh, basically a backpack-type sprayer that yep. sprays a stream of this expanding, gooey substance that actually will cause you know animals' legs to stick together. They stick to the ground. Um, and they stick they, to everything. <laughs> they, they basically become incapacitated, and or you literally can allow them to wear themselves out, struggling with it. In the case of large predators, like really big ones, you could fire some kind of a device that has a barb on it connected, say, a weight of some kind. It would do a small injury. It would injure the animal, but it wouldn't necessarily kill them because we were talking about less than lethal. But then as the animal tried to escape, it would be dragging either a weight or maybe a hook of some kind. It would be grabbing on the underbrush as it went along. And as long as it didn't actually rip it out of itself, you could tether it down or it could wear itself out just trying to get away from you. Oh yeah. We could you know, we could use one of the old standards is the uh the dart gun. Right. Or or blow gun with the you know with a, a proper knockout medicine on or spear right. gun. Yeah. Or spear gun, yeah. The spear guns actually work even better above ground than they do uh, above water than underwater. I mean, a spear gun works much more effective than a gun, a, a pistol, but a spear gun still has to push an awful lot of metal or, or fiberglass through a very thick substance called water. And if you fire that above ground, then it's just like, fire, in a way, it's a lot like firing a crossbow. Yep. Right. But it's a, it's a device that's designed to, to carry a line behind it, which you can then use to, if it's attached, if it's tied down, to tether your, uh, your prey. You could always go cowboy. You know, you could use one of the oldest less than lethal rounds, the or less than lethal devices, the lasso, and actually lariat lasso your creature and pull it to the ground. Right, but unless you actually actually have some real skill in that, that's a pretty hard thing to actually to do. Yeah. Oh yeah, but you know, it's French worthy. Somebody could be playing a cowboy. Sure. Well, I mean, again, yeah, look at your system, whether it supports it or not. Yeah. You know, I I would I think it'd be great to be you know cowboying across the fringe bass. Yeah. Just don't try to catch an allosaurus. They can just break that rope like it wasn't made, like it was made out of tissue paper. Allosaurus. 
Break you as well. Yeah. Oh, this is from a movie, uh, The Valley of Guanji. Great movie, folks. Rent it. Uh, where cowboy, it's cowboys versus dinosaurs. And they tried to right. capture an allosaurus with, with lassos. And it didn't work. Right. Wait a minute. Was that one of those old claymation movies from the 60s? Yeah, well, not claymation. It was, that, it was uh, uh, foam rubber, stop. stop motion, Ray Harryhausen. Yeah. Oh, God. It's one of the classics. Well, you know, all uh, the stop motion really were made out of a clay-like substance, so it's still really pretty true. Yeah. Well, no, so. well it is foam rubber on the outside and then armature inside, but that's, you know. All the things we're talking about right now work, work great on small animals or mid-sized, like, say, deer or something like that. Though I would, I would have to getting close to a deer with, with a full head of antlers with a net gun. If you were inside of a vehicle firing out of a window, then that might work for yeah. you. Yeah, but uh, when we start getting into the bigger critters... You want to capture that Stegosaurus. You want to capture that rhino. You want to capture that uh, baby mammoth. These are big critters. And there's a whole other set, set of things you have to try to catch them. I still say, though, sleep, if you got sleep gas or knockout gas, that would be probably the best bet followed right after with tranquilizer rounds. Yeah, tranquilizer darts. That's what I was thinking. Right, yeah. I, I've used them in, in many games. And again, it, it depends on your system. In the original uh, Fringeworthy game, there was a delay to action that, you know, you, you'd fire these things, but you had to realize that it might take up to 30 seconds before the thing fi- actually came down from, you know, because unless you hit an artery, the uh, sedative was just stuck in, in the tissues of, of muscle and stuff like that and wasn't going to easily get into the, the bloodstream, which is one of the reasons why gas attacks are usually more effective because they immediately go in the lungs, they immediately go into the, the bloodstream and have a, a very quick reaction. And then immediately go to the brain at that point. Right. Right. But the, not all um, uh, gas attacks affect the brain directly. I mean, some of them cause uh, weeping, uh, uh, they're corrosive in the sense that, you know, like the uh, tear gas and things like that, that that don't actually directly affect brain function. Oh, yeah. Another thing I was thinking of that you would probably run into, and this would be a good place to, to use it in a uh, fringe-worthy campaign, would be running into fringe pirates. Now, imagine you, you run into a group of fringe pirates who always use not less than lethal rounds. And the reason why they would do that is because they wouldn't be hunted down so so viciously, and if they were captured, they wouldn't necessarily be executed on the spot by some groups because they would have a reputation of never killing anybody but just stealing their stuff. So, I mean, I could see a fringe group uh, going down that road just so that, you know, hey, in case we get caught, you know, or, or maybe they're just pirates just to survive and they do have, you know, they do have morals. It's just that they feel that within their moral set, it's okay to take from people who can't hang on to their own possessions, but they're not cold-blooded killers. That's a very good point, Alex. Now, we have a tendency to paint all fringe pirates with the same brush, but just like people, there's every reason to think that there could be fringe pirates out there for a number of different reasons and using a number of different methodologies. Yeah, but even those pirates, remember, carry two different carry two clips: one clip of yeah. less than lethal, one clip of put a hole through you. Well, they got to defend themselves, you yeah. know. Yeah. Especially when the dumb French with the dumb idiots are shooting back with real bullets. Yeah, come on, you know, get with the program. But but I think yeah, I think they could put a neat twist on somebody's campaign. You know, you run into French pirates who actually aren't really bad guys. You know, they're just 
you know, that's just the way they've chosen to live. And yeah. they're, they're predators, but they're not trying to be uh, murderous. Right. They have a more more of a Robin Hoodish yeah. outlook than uh, right. than than you know, um, I don't know, Blackbeard. Exactly. So we've got gas attacks, we've got uh, dart pistols of various kinds, electricity, uh, capture devices, uh, restraining of various kinds, um, oh. light and sound. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Well, how, okay. You know, uh, just saying we're, we, the, we're talking fringeworthy and we're talking large crowds. What happens when they get caught in a riot or a mob situation? What to do then? Now you're surrounded by a bunch of people who are basically using improvised weapons. Okay, we're, we're, we're jumping into people now. We're not sticking with animals. Oh, uh, well, okay. Think about that. Do you want to stay with animals? What, what more animals do you want to do? I mean, beyond, you know, trank, you know are we talking about hunting whales or what or at this point? Well, w- would there be any w- means of uh, stopping, let's say, because you brought it up, is would there be some means of stopping a stampede, not lethally, other oh. than using some kind of sleep gas? Let's see. Flashbangs. Definitely flashbangs. Flash because. Uh, sting, um, that would cause them. That would cause them to turn away. Sting balls. I mean, it definitely would, would cause them to turn. Um, I wouldn't try. I hate that. I wouldn't try using sleep gas on them because sleep gas. Their adrenaline's going in full blast when they're in a stampede. They're not going to be affected by sleep gas as much as they would be if they're just sitting there docile. How about a uh, water cannon? Oh, that would work. That work. But you need a big source of water. I would assume that if you were going to use this as a, some kind of a defensive mechanism or something, then you'd either be next to a lake or you would have access to some reservoir. Or you'd have some kind of special, uh, and, I, and I did actually put this into one of my adventures, where they actually had a, uh, a, a super tech device that actually teleported water between a receiver and a projector. So they would take like this ball, they would drop it into the ocean, and then the other thing would just blow, and, and it would drop to the bottom of the ocean where there was thousands of pounds per square inch, and they literally would o- turn it on, and the difference in pressure would drive the water through at, at, at enormous amounts of pressure. Wow. If you, well, if you want to go, like, high tech, you could, uh, you could have an electric, say, an arc gun that would fire, um, basically fire a lightning bolt, but you could tune down the amperage way, way down so that it was very non-lethal. It just Stung like crazy, yeah. or, or, uh, and you'd really want to turn the voltage way, way up so it would arc even better. Yeah. Right, right. So this, yeah. so you'd have this, you'd have this huge long arc, and when I say huge long, I mean like a hundred feet or whatever, of uh, of electricity that 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 wasn't very lethal, but stung like a mother. Yeah. Um, and you could just, and if it was high tech, you'd have plenty of energy, so you could just crank that baby up and hold down on the trigger and just, you know, and and electrocute a whole like. You know, like a whole front line of a stampede, that would definitely turn things around. And it would be very scary, which may not help the stampede or not, but visually it would be it'd be very startling. Sonic weapons. Now, there's a whole area we haven't touched yet, but uh, I was actually thinking something a bit more than a sonic stunner, but more like a I would call it a shockwave weapon that basically creates a a massive shockwave of air. You know, that basically creates a standing shockwave through the air that. Uh, wherever it hits, it's knocked down at that point. Uh, basically, you're simulating the, uh, the the shockwave from like from a, a, a large blast. Only it's say generated electronically or something like like that from a, a like a big old tube or something like that. And 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 an airzuka like uh, like an airzuka. It could be a cannon just without any ball in it. 
So the explosion blasts out a certain amount of air that's going to push against the surrounding air and send some kind of a shock wave out. And this actually was a real weapon. The Germans worked on it, the Russians worked on it, we even worked on it during World War II. Vortex gun. You look it up, folks, a vortex gun. Uh, it didn't work for the Germans, but, you know, hey, we're talking the future. It worked for, it worked for somebody, and it basically can take things out over a mile. And it doesn't have to be the future. It could be an alternate where they've just been working on it since the 40s, and they finally got it right. But what they're using on uh, cruise ships now, they actually have a sound gun that fires like it's like a sound laser almost. It fires a very narrow beam of sound. If you're standing next to the thing, you can't even hear it going off. Uh, so it's really cool. They use it on uh, cruise ships now to protect against pirates. Uh, they use a high-frequency sound with a carrier wave that when you hit something, audible sound gets generated. So therefore, it's, and it's highly directional because you're talking about high-frequency uh, sound waves. So if you just point it at somebody and turn it on, you're right, no one's going to hear it, but whoever it hits will feel that sound all over their body. You know, it's just like you're, you're, you're being vibrated by that high-frequency sound. Uh, lower amplitude, you can use it as a highly directional speaker. I point at somebody. Hi there, I'm your conscience. No one else can hear me but you. <laughs> okay. But, but yeah, I can see that becoming a standard, even becoming a standard device on iDead Humvees. Because oh, yeah. it, it's not actually, it's not, well, it's, it's kind of big, but, you know, if it was a little bit more in the future, because that's now, a little bit more in the future, you micronize it some, and I could see that being a Humvee-mounted weapon because it has so many uses. And like you said, John, you could you could turn it down so that you could talk to your team member who's on another hill without using radios, because maybe uh, you're in a technological world where people are monitoring radio signals, and you could directionally send information to them. Right. All right, well, let's, let's move into the things that are more useful against humans, or that humans be more likely to be affected by versus, let's say, an animal. Stampedes is a good segue into human stampedes, otherwise known as riots and mobs. This is where weapons like, you know, water cannon, uh, sound weapons, and sting, grenades, sting ball grenades come into play. Part of breaking up a riot is the fact that people, when they're, when they're in a situation, they're, they're operating under mob psychology. Nobody really is in charge. I'm just a cog in the wheel. By using something like, a, like tear gas or, a, or especially a sting ball grenade, you make it personal, and you break them out of that psychology. And that's fairly good at breaking up mobs. Uh, unless, of course, they are a certain level of dedication beyond just being just a, a flash mob line like that. Uh, you know, if you're talking like riot, you a bunch of people rioting for their rights or something like that, it probably won't be as effective as people who, are just get, who got mad because they saw someone get punched and then just break into a general melee. Well, a lot of times when you're dealing with a mob, what you're really trying to do is cause them to lose morale cause them to lose the will to fight. One of the devices that we haven't mentioned yet is the use of smoke. By using things like obscuring smoke, you can cause people to lose cohesion with the group, may not see their intended target, and therefore may lose the, the will to fight. So just using something as simple as a smoke grenade can avert lethal encounter. Also, there's, there are uh, smoke bombs that literally explode and fill an entire area with uh, a lot of smoke oh, yeah. that's very obscuring. So that can also be helpful in that yeah, regard. Tear gas, there's also tear gas grenades uh, uh, like that, too, where they detonate over a crowd and shower them with uh, the tear gas. Right. You know, I, I don't know how worked up you have to be to walk through tear gas or to ignore it because 
um, I was in a bar one time and somebody got pepper sprayed and they were, you know, a couple people down from me and it choked out just about everybody in that bar. I mean, that stuff is really vicious. I just, I don't, I don't understand how some people can just fight through that. I was in the military. I actually had to go through a class where we were put into a room with no masks. There's a little burner in the middle of the room, and the only person with a mask on was the instructor, and he put a little pellet of tear gas material on there, and within two seconds, after it started burning and melting, uh, yeah, all you could do was you, you could barely breathe. But, we had, but everyone had to put their mask on, clear them out properly, and then or, in an orderly method leave the room, and everyone passed it. You, you, you can do it. You just have to have your mind focused on what you're doing. You know, it, it's, tear gas is not 100% because a person with a dedicated mind can ignore it. Are tear gas and pepper gas the same thing? No. Pepper no, spray? Okay, well, well, like I said, we got hit with pepper spray, and that stuff is... Oh, it's volatile. Tear gas. Also, there's different versions. There's uh, CS, which is tear gas. There's uh, CSDM, which is tear gas, coupled with a, uh, a vomitary uh, agent. So you, you're crying and puking your guts at the same time. Uh, there's other combinations out there as well. Pepper spray, I think it's probably more longer-lasting because it is a more natural product than CS. <laughs> We're we're more tuned, we're, we're more tuned to that than we are to the active elements in in, uh, in tear gas because it is a natural occurring chemical that we actually have a reaction to in nature. So it, it actually, I think would probably work better than CS would. But still, uh, there are stories of guys who've been sprayed with CS. These are these are of course stories, folks. Not true, but there's stories of people who've been hit with pepper spray and it's like, okay, that's all you got, and keep on coming. I'm sure there are, and I know schizophrenics don't feel pain the same way. Not you know people who are not schizophrenic. So I mean, there's always that you know mentally ill people could could be affected differently. It's just I'm just trying to make the point that you know it's not just anybody just because they're tough or whatever. And you can be as tough as nails and get hit with the stuff, and it can take you to your knees in a second. Yeah, right. You know, especially if you're not expecting it. A lot of worlds that you're going to be using this kind of stuff on, these are going to be more primitive worlds. They're going to assume that when you use a non-lethal device like this, that you're actually trying to kill them. But, you know, so the fear is going to be tremendous. They're not going to be prepared to deal with it and, and act like it's not going to bother them because they don't have any reason to believe that it wouldn't bother them. That it isn't a, a lethal attack. So we can expect them to break and run uh, if they have any brains at all. But later on, of course, if they capture us, they may say, you tried to kill me, and then you'd have to prove that it wasn't, in fact, lethal. Uh, but it, it, in the meantime, I think that they should be very effective against people who are not prepared to deal with them. But your game system may not support that, so if your game system lets you use these things with impunity, you'd be fooled not to you take advantage of them. Oh, yeah. If your system lets you spray someone with pepper, pepper spray and not cause them to go into a respir respiratory distress, go ahead, spray them down, you know? <laughs> I mentioned before the Judge Dredd. Because this is a game and also stories involving the police, uh, they had a lot of techniques that were designed to be used to pacify large crowds and were considered to be humane. And uh, one of the things that they had was riot foam. 
And riot foam was a great material. They would just literally drop these things in huge canisters, and they would just envelop an entire stadium full of people, and the stuff would literally freeze around them. Freeze is the wrong term. It would harden around them, and they wouldn't be able to move. They wouldn't be able to attack each other. They wouldn't be able to do anything except stand there and breathe until somebody showed up and cut them out. And so if you are later on in the fringe-worthy timeline or you go to a world that has such high-tech containment-type devices, then this, this would be a very effective thing to use and, and to uh, get a good supply of for your further adventures. A world in which they have very effective non-lethal-type devices, they may have people who are much more willing to engage in attacking and things like that because they know that if the police show up, they're just going to you know, spray them down and, and they'll be fine. Yep. Fear of being hurt by your opponent is one of the things that intimidates you and, and causes you not to attack. But if you're not afraid of that sort of thing, then, of course, you are going to act as if you have impunity. You could have something like an Esper grenade, sort of like an EMP blast, but it's, but it's on a psychic level to take people out. That's a great idea, Blake. Yeah. Boing, and, of course, and all the psychics in your team pass out from it. You're like... Well, not just psychics, anybody, anybody oh, yeah. on the team. I mean, psychics might be especially, you know, yeah. prone to it, but, you know, this thing would, like, scramble your mental thought process for a few seconds, enough to, like, knock you out. Right. In the original D&D game, they had Psionic Blast, which was which was referred to as shocking news. <laughs> <laughs> you literally go, oh, my goodness, and you just kind of stand there stunned for a while. Or they come up with a device that can impose alpha waves on the entire crowd. Alpha waves are the brain waves you have when you're resting or you're asleep. So if you can somehow impose that into someone's brain, you could potentially put them to sleep. Like a sleeping grenade, but it would be on a... On a or a sleep brain. Or a sleep brain. A great movie to watch for this kind of things is The Mystery Men. Mm-hmm. Because uh, they ran into an artificer, uh, a mad scientist type, and they said, we need better weapons. And they went to him, and, they, and he said, oh, yeah, I can make great weapons for you. And then they found out that he made all totally non-lethal weapons. And at first they thought, this is terrible. This is, you know, what kind of crazy notion is this? Making weapons that are not lethal. But then they started using them, and they realized that these were pretty amazing things. And they, they were crazy weapons, too. They had one that was the blame thrower. Oh, yeah. Which my caused... Fav- yeah. <laughs> my favorite. That was, that was awesome. <laughs> which caused people to... Instead of, they would stop attacking. Instead, they would turn to each other, and they would argue over... Anything. <laughs> it would get into a big old <laughs> argument, completely distracted from their original purpose. My second favorite one, of course, the shrink ray. It only shrunk clothes. Right. <laughs> so people would find their clothes. Well, the intended purpose was people would find their clothing so constrictive that they wouldn't be able to move anymore. But of course, it has some other salacious aspects to it. Yeah, that so, was awesome. Tornado in the can. <laughs> I'm looking at this thing here, and I'm seeing this thermal guns. Right. They sound pretty nasty. The idea of a thermal gun is, as you were talking about, like that blast of sound, it causes a sudden uh, massive rise in temperature. In the, When I say massive, I'm talking about maybe 10 to 20 degrees in a person, internally. And so, uh, it, but not long enough that it would be really dangerous. And so the person literally... It's like they they hit with heat stroke. They literally fall over unconscious. They faint. They become woozy, and they become disoriented, and they fall down. But it doesn't last long enough to cause them any permanent damage. 
I mean, you can do that with uh, basically about 12 degree rays. 110 is usually considered almost near fatal. Right, but that's because it lasts for a period of time. Yeah. But a short time period, you probably, as I said, you know, it, I, I don't know about you, but I've had cases where I literally uh, walked into a sauna and you breathe in that 150 degree air, and it's like suddenly you can't breathe. Yeah. Okay, well, imagine that more internally to yourself, and you just your head would just swim, your eyes would feel like they were boiling, and you just, you know, you just collapse. You probably should throw up. Well, and that's the intent of the device. It's intended to cause you uh, an insult to your body, to, to cause you to not attack anybody, to become quiescent. Now, talking about an insult to your body, and I know Mythbusters proved it wrong, there is, of course, the infamous brown note weapon. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar, theoretically there is a subsonic frequency that is the resonant frequency of the human digestive system. Uh, turns out it's not really true, but yay, 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 you know, we're talking alternate worlds, and maybe a world where it does work. You turn it on, and the person's digestive system decides to evacuate itself through every orifice it can find. And that could be a, a method of, well, crowd control right there. <laughs> Well, we haven't even talked about the possibility of magic. We talk about magic, we've got device that causes people to do that, to shame themselves into, into uh, quiescence. We have polymorph-type spells that can turn you into a duck, and therefore you're no longer the, the big, beefy uh, Conan-type guy that was just attacking. Yeah. And whole crowd with like an anti-gravity or, a, right. or like a feather-falling type ability, and all of a sudden your mob can't go anywhere. They just kind of float around and bump into each other. Right. Yeah. Mass charm spells charm a whole group, and they uh, just stop fighting. Okay. I... Right. <laughs> well, well, how about pieces? <laughs> you know. Yeah. A heavy gravity grenade, you know, goes off in an area, gets charged with really heavy gravity, and everybody gets slammed to the ground and can't go anywhere. Exactly. If you go that direction, either really super high-tech or magic uh, or even psionic, then you, you've got a lot of options that are available to you that because they all, in a sense, mirror each other. Super high-tech and magic and psionics, you know, all can essentially be the same thing, just coming from different sources of generation. Oh, yeah. When you get into the high-tech and the super-tech kind of thing, there's a lot of options that are available to you that wouldn't be available if you're just looking at the kind of technology that's available now or in the near future. Sonic stunners were another staple of science fiction. Uh, they use sound waves to stun people. You know, talking about the uh, brown note earlier, you know, a segue from that would be, Stink bombs. You try, like in a role playing situation, a lot of times people say, oh, well, I'll just fight through it. But in reality, you know, something that is an awful smell, and I'm talking like not just your garbage after three days, I'm talking uh, biologically, you know, like a, a bio, you know, a natural biological weapon, sort of like a skunk or whatever. If you've ever smelled where a skunk has gone off, it is horrid. Um, and there are worse things. There are laboratories right now where they are trying their very best to develop the worst smell in the world. And one of the ones that, that they developed, they actually had at that time the worst smell that they'd ever been able to develop. And it wasn't enough to cause somebody to become incapacitated, but it was a combination of the smell of death and uh, urine and all these things which triggered a psychological response where you just said, this is like a plague spot. This is like, if I stay here, 
I'm going to die. Something's going to kill me. Something is just, you know, it's, it's, it's like death incarnate in this area, and I must leave. So it didn't incapacitate, but it certainly encouraged you to move away from it. In 2008, Israeli forces used something called skunk on Palestinians. It's a water cannon, but it's designed to spray over the crowd, and it's laced with a chemical that smells of of rot and sewage, and it clings to whoever it touches. You, it, basically, you have to wait till it wears off to get rid of the smell. Uh. <laughs> We're mostly talking about this as a means of warding off attack and things like that, but it can also be used just to keep people from getting too close to, let's say, your base, it, to provide a certain amount of personal security to yourself. There are chemicals which are referred to as uh, hobo smells or things like that, where... The, the average person coming, and as, as I was talking about that smell that they were working on in the lab, you come over toward a building that has that smell around it, you're going to naturally say, I don't want to go over there and, and, and mess with that because who knows what that is. Also, if you want to keep people from, like, robbing you, like cut purses and things like that, you put on a sufficiently nasty smell, everybody will give you a wide berth. And so people like thieves and stuff like that, they, if they come close to you, then they're going to be obvious that they're trying to do something with you. <laughs> if they're not, uh, then, of course, like I say, it'll give you a certain amount of security of looking around you. It won't do you too good for your negotiation attempts, but if you're just traveling through a city and you're trying to do it fairly rapidly without causing too much attention to yourselves as being armed or an invasionary force, just a bunch of people all wrapped up will be enough to do that. Your maldodorant comes in stick form or in spray. There's also bad breath uh, mints. 30-day uh, halitosis, you know, with a, with a pinch of gin. Nice. One of the more dangerous techniques you can try would be using an applique, appliances of various kinds, to make you look like you're suffering from some kind of plague. Assuming that the people aren't going to kill you out of hand, their first reaction is to recoil away from you and to leave you alone. Let's say you went to a town, a culture that had leprosy, where they didn't just kill them out of hand. Instead, they, they had places for them to stay. You could move through the land and not be bothered by people very much because you were dressed like a leper or you had some visible sores. People would leave you alone. They wouldn't come over and investigate you as long as you could say to them, no, I'm on my way to the leper colony, you know, 50 miles away next to whatever. They'd say, okay, fine, fine. Yep. And you could travel unaccosted uh, a fair distance across the land, perhaps hiding stuff beneath your clothing that they would be interested in otherwise. Yeah, and there's various straps and so forth that you can strap your leg up into the, you can be one-legged if you need to, or you can be one-armed, or have a stump at least. These are non-lethal deterrents. You know, they're not weapons, but they get you what you want, which is free passage to where you're trying to go, or at least unobstructed passage. You know, you're trying to get to that uh, shrine so you can, maybe a miracle will heal you. As some people have learned in many games, one of the most non-lethal, at least to you, method of protection is paying somebody else. Okay, to uh, come to your aid. I've got a hundred dollars here for the first person who takes this guy down. <laughs> you know, sometimes you know the, uh, people who are rich many times never have to physically protect themselves because there's always somebody willing to jump to their defense if they see that's where their bread is buttered. Yeah.
We talked a little bit about using gas attacks, but there's a lot of other techniques that actually serve the same purpose, which is to blind your opponents. We haven't talked about using paint guns. There's actually a brand out that you can, you can buy for your characters right away. You can get a paintball gun, and you get pepper rounds. They're filled with, with pure capsaicin. So you hit somebody, and it just breaks open, and they're just covered in a cloud of, of pepper dust. Uh, and those are fairly raw, long range, aren't they, John? Uh, you probably got yourself about 200 yards range on a good day. With, I would say 100 yards is probably about long range normally for these for these things. So, yeah, if you see them within 50 yards, you should be able to pluck them and, and at least put a few rounds around them and discourage them from getting any closer to you. Uh, if it's wintertime, you can use regular gel caps. You just let them get nice and cold, oh, and yeah. that's a nice little deterrent. Yeah. <laughs> it's like hitting them with rocks. Marbles the right size would work with the guns, too. Oh, God, marbles, really? Right. Oh, yeah, there's marbles the, the right size that fit in paintball guns. <laughs> Some of the kits that you can buy uh, allows you to refill whatever you want to, which, of course, provides all kinds of possibilities. Well, you're, actually, you're not refilling what you're doing. You're actually making you're making your own paintballs. You have a complete gel kit. So you you right. get the gel. you get the place to put the stuff inside. So you can put mustard in there if you want to. You can put ketchup. You can put... Whatever inside that paintball, it'll break apart and spread when you hit. Right. You put that sports stuff, that liquid heat. That would be tricky. If, for example, you run a world where you were had a lot of sophisticated chemicals available to you, uh, you could fire uh, a paintball with a, um, let's say, an instant attractant. Uh, at, at one of your opponents, and then all of a sudden, you know, the uh, nearby bees suddenly start congregating on that per- that person, and now they got to deal with uh, suddenly uh, they're they're being surrounded with bees. They start they start smacking them off. The bees get angry, and now they're dealing with stinging bees, and and perhaps an entire hive coming after them, and they're not bothering you anymore. Use yellow checkers because yellow checkers can, can sting more than once. <laughs> Well, whatever's available. Yeah, whatever's available, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Killer bees don't have barbs on their stingers. No. And yeah. there's giant Japanese hornets. Oh. Yeah. So I'm just saying that you can use um, a, a, a number of attractants rather than a repellents, and all you just want to do is attract them over to your opponents, and now your opponents have something far more uh, unpleasant to deal with than, than messing with you. Oh, yeah. So, and you... you're and you haven't had to shoot them. In a court of law, they might have a hard time proving that. Well, you know, <laughs> he, he did it, you know, unless, of course, they said, no, no, he's a wizard and he cursed me. But otherwise, you know, it might, there might not be a precedent for someone using that, and you might actually be able to use it as a credible defense because oh, yeah. uh, you didn't use a, a weapon that anybody had ever seen before. Well, I was talking about long-range mm-hmm. long attacks. There's also, and it's still kind of experimental, but there are... Taser rounds usually fire from 12 gauge shotguns that consist of a, a battery and a battery and contacts uh, surrounded by rubber. Uh, but it's a taser round, and so and it can penetrate uh, um, uh, most clothing. Uh, if you're wearing a big down down vest, you probably won't penetrate that. But in regular clothing, yeah, you can penetrate clothing and deliver uh, deliver shock and take them down. I think rock salt is uh, is kind of hilarious. It's great against ghosts if you watch Supernatural. What's that? It's rock salt? Yeah, well, uh, ghosts get dispersed by uh, rock salt. I didn't know that. I've never seen this show. Um, their world. Well, All right, yeah, their, sure. their world could be in the Fringeworthy world, right? Yeah. Because then if you want to go down that road, you know, I mean, this is where shotguns, paint, uh, paint guns, like filling your own paintballs with uh, 
some kind of uh, you know silver powder suspended in a liquid, or um, you know against vampires you can fill it with like you know garlic juice or whatever, depending on what the vampires are. are Holy are water. Into or not into. Holy. Holy water, right? Yeah, yeah. Holy water. Or against, uh, against, if you're going against traditional uh, fa- uh, fairies and elves, uh, paintballs filled with uh, iron filings. Uh, right, yeah. Especially if it can be really nasty if they breathe it in. Because now they can't spare mm-hmm. the iron, it's in their lungs. Well, the last two items that I thought about, is there's a number of designer chemicals, especially ba- uh, bacterial type attacks. This is something you'd use more on the long term or against an installation if you had some kind of, uh, of a special bacteria that only ate uh, refined metals, then you could spray it on the bad guy's fortress and all of a sudden his doors are falling out because his hinges are all rotted out, his vehicles are collapsing or they're, they won't run anymore. You could defeat somebody without ever firing uh, a, a conventional shot. That you have reduced them to the Stone Age, while the rest, while your people are still staying around with their modern weapons. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't a good uh, good dose of bleach take care of that bacteria, though? Well, it depends on first of all whether they realize that the bacteria is doing that, and secondly, uh, how how well the bacteria has been designed. No. If the bacteria has been designed to uh, dr- to to drill into a substance then applying bleach is only going to affect the surface and it's not going to uh, help the internal rot. That's true. And they, they also have to have bleach on them. I mean, how many attack forces have bleach on them? Yeah. Also, you probably want to make sure that this bacteria has been designed so it can only have, like, say, 200 generations. Otherwise, you got a problem. So 200 generations later, after it's been, after it's been like, turned down, so to speak, uh, it, it dies out. One of the simplest techniques is just simply make it vulnerable to ultraviolet light. Yeah. And so, therefore, as soon as the sun comes up, you know, the damage is over. Or you, you spray it on the inside of, a, of an internal uh, a fortress, you know, underground fortress like that, so it rots out everything down there, but it doesn't, you know, affect anything, you know, up top. And if they have any kind of external uh, air supply where they're sucking it in from the outside, using some kind of aerosol that provides droplets, you know, that you could carry easily into the system. You could also do, use that as a method of making them sick and, uh, and, and stuff like that, poisoning water supplies. You know, th- these things can be not, not lethal and can cause people to simply just give up. But if you do it fast enough, it hits them hard enough. You could do the same thing with, uh, you, could, with you know, with nanorobots, like um, nanobots. Uh, it, depending on how how technically techno- technologically advanced the society you're working with is, you know, so instead of having to create a biological agent, it could be a um, could be little robots, which would make them immune to bleach, and you could definitely program in a self destruct mechanism into them. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that brings us to our last type of opponent that we haven't talked about, and that is robots. Oh, nice there's, segue. There's very specific techniques we can use that we haven't even talked about. But you mentioned it once earlier, the EMP devices. And, and these cause anything that has electronics in them to become disrupted. Well, non-hardened uh-huh. electronics. Yeah, you would imagine, though, if you had war bots out there, they may actually get be, they may be hardened against that sort of thing because it probably would be a common attack amongst robots. It's probably to a degree. I'm sure that if you were right next to an EMP bomb that went off, 
even the most hardened robot would probably be affected by it. Yeah. Unless we're talking about the serious anime-type hardened robot. You know? Well, hardening, actually, you can do one of two, one, two ways. You make sure the thing is grounded or that it's in a Faraday cage. Uh, so therefore, you're not affected by it. And I hate to say, a metal robot is a Faraday cage. So, you, you know, so another means, other means we need to be attacked, those kinds of robots. But robots with plastic bodies, you know, like in, like in most uh, sci-fi stories these days, they have plastic bodies with, in, with metal parts internal. Oh, yeah, EMP, those suckers, they, go, they fall down. <laughs> Depending upon how the EMP pulse is generated mm-hmm. to cause the damage to the electronic circuits, this is a weapon that doesn't hurt people. Yep. So you could fire one of these things off. If you watch shows like 24, I mean, they're literally setting off massive EMP-type pulses with people standing literally right next to the devices, and they're fine. I, I think that's really science fiction there because most of the techniques I've seen for generating EMP pulses have to do with using explosions that push uh, magnetized or charged particles around, and that causes the pulse. The, the original EMP device that we became aware of was the atomic bomb. But actually, even before that, the strongest EMP device we have is the sun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But then also, I've seen some uh, EMP devices, one where they, they uh, generated the pulse through very large electromagnets while using an explosive device, and no one was standing around there because they said when it would go off, if, if you were staying there, if you had like anything ferric in your body, it would get yanked out. Theoretically, it's a non-lethal to living creature type device. Mm-hmm. So, and again, in your system, you might be able to do that. You know, this, this is something that could be easily used. Uh, it was it was one of the devices that was used to destroy uh, at least one group of Daleks in one of the Doctor Who movies. Alongside the same idea, you have devices that fire electricity because you know some kind of a electrical discharge can destroy a robot. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. incapacitate it. Works pretty good on people too. Right. Massive Tesla coils, you know, you know, firing off bolts of electricity, or uh, or the uh, there's one of course where you use a laser to create an ionized channel in the air, uh, and then you fire the electric beam down that channel, like lightning bolt, yeah. like lightning bolt. Yeah, but yeah. you're but you're you're missing the classic uh, anti-robot device that uh, has been used especially back in the 1950s when all the robots were made out of metal. What's the best way to incapacitate a robot? Water. Well, that wasn't what I was thinking of. I was thinking of like one of those great big electromagnets they used to to, to haul garbage around in a, in a garbage dump. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. The robot yeah. comes walking towards you, menacing its glowing eyes, and boom! <laughs> it's now up against the roof, you know, or, or a wall, or it's stuck to the floor because magnetism against a, a robot that's made out of metal, ferrous metal of some kind, it's like that gravity bomb or that gravity effect you were talking about, Blake. Uh, right. Well, even, even, even if they're not ferric, if there's a big enough magnetic field, simply why Walking field will cause induced currents within their body, and that would still be as effective as it. Well, actually, they'd be doing a uh, EMP at that point on their body, just by walking through the magnetic field. So even if they're not uh, made out, if they're made out, say, like coal, uh, made out of copper and brass, you still can cause some sort of effect on them. 
but uh, one of the effects wouldn't be like an EMP pulse in the sense of scrambling its circuits. You could actually uh, do inductive heating. You could actually burn, slag one down, heat it up and slag it down, right, John? Yeah, especially if you're dealing with the clockwork robots from Victorian Earth, which aren't electronic. They're wind-up robots. Okay. Well, that's where you come in with your heat gun, because metal is a great conductor of heat. Oh, yeah. And as it, heat, as it heats up, it begins to swell and begins to lose integrity. So uh, you'd have your gears jamming up. Yeah. Right. Usually we think of these clockwork devices as, as the clockworks themselves are fairly delicate. Oh, yeah. And so if you had some kind of inductive heating, then even though the outsides are made out of armored steel, the insides could be melted down fairly easily using some kind oh. of inductive type uh, magnetic ray. Even though the bodies are probably made out of brass and copper, if there's a spring inside, it's made out of steel. And if you heat that spring up, it loses a lot of its, well, springiness, causes it to wear out and uh, loses the ability to move at that point. So, yeah, there's various things you can do. Oh, something else I hadn't thought of. You know, if we go back to the uh, robots that are high tech, the kind that we're used to, or we're used to thinking of, if you had a powerful electromagnet, you could wipe out its memory. Right. Oh yeah. The Apple upload into the alien system using various types of devices like viruses and. Bruce, Bruce, and uh, you, you have forgotten the classic way of taking out a, a, a malevolent robotic intelligence. You confuse it with, lo with, with logic. Oh, who is buried in Grant's tomb, eh? I always lie. What are you doing? I am Thank lying. You. But if you're, but if you say you're lying, you must be telling the truth. But you can't be telling the truth because you always lie. Ah! <laughs> you could even have a device that would that would do all that for you at lightning speed. You know, like maybe maybe you got like a, a grenade that's magnetic, and you throw it onto this thing, and it starts communicating with this robot, and starts feeding it all these logic problems, and confuses it. Right. Something or you can dump a virus into it. Well, you could also just simply overload it with information. If you had a robot that uh, ha didn't have the ability to shut off its input, then you could literally give it so much information that it, it, it would allocate more and more resources to processing that information and literally become incapable of moving because it couldn't spare the CPU cycles to actually attack you. That was used in the uh, Doctor Who, new Doctor Who uh, series, uh, in the, the special The Next Doctor, where they use, uh, they, they're called infotabs, they hold uh, uh, by the Cybermen. And if you overload one, you can just simply beam it straight into a Cyberman's head and kill them with, with this information. Okay. Well, let's, hey, let's not forget, you know, we can, you can go back to some of the classic stuff that stops people as well. I mean, you could hit them with the foam, the sticky foam stuff. Oh, right. You could, oh. you could net them. You could, um... Oh, but a clockwork robot would be, uh, would hate sticky foam because it would get inside and get all stuck up. <laughs> right. Imagine hitting one of them with a sandblaster. Well, they get nice and shiny. Oh, the, yeah, the grit, you know, getting that grit in places. But they be shiny, nice and polished. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, shiny on the outside, gritty on the inside. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, um, any other ideas, Blix? 
No, I think we've not put this baby to bed. Yeah. All right. And, John? Uh, no, and, and fo- no more, but, but folks, don't forget, yeah, we'll, we'll try to find more information on this stuff, so if you can you can run it in your games, uh, so you just will give you ideas and, and no numbers, because that's, you know, people hate not getting numbers to go along with this sort of stuff. So we'll make sure in our show notes we'll at least cover this stuff if we can find the information. And, and like I said, is that if, if we don't, if it's not in the base books that we're using, and you, you know, know what some supplement that was put out, you know, uh, for D20 or D20 Modern, uh, please let us know. And so, you know, we don't have to spend all our time coming up with stats for things that people have already come up with a well-balanced version of. In conclusion, what we're saying here is, is that there's a lot of different ways for you to use non-lethal methods of defeating your opponents, keeping yourself safe, making yourself basically pretty cool uh, all kinds of special effects you could pull off, making your character very capable and uh, almost untouchable under certain circumstances. Because you know, and and that's where we want to bring the awesome you know into the game. You know, when you a bad guy runs up in front of you, you don't have to say, well, if I pull out this gun, then I got to kill him and stuff like that. You've got other options available to you. You can intimidate. You can capture people for interrogation. You know, we want you to have a lot of options and any time that you get into a situation, uh, rather than just having to say, well, you know, he's, he's a threat, we can't leave him behind, let's just knock him out. Or, uh, and, uh, it's just, rather than killing him. Yeah. And, or let's erase his memory. We haven't even talked about some of the drug uses, but you know, we, we can, you can erase his memory and then it's, you know, he's not a threat because he didn't even know you were there. So there's a lot of things that can be done, and we want you guys to uh, think about some things that we haven't thought of because we can't have gotten everything, and we hope that you'll go and uh, post messages to our forum talking about the particular subject and maybe some of the things we've missed because uh, there's lots of ways of uh, running an adventure that doesn't involve killing everything in sight, even if it is done in the D20 system. You know, this covers people who play characters who are not born warriors or whatever, like... You know, if somebody's playing a doctor or, you know, a straight up, you know, a scientist who just doesn't believe in taking lives. This gives them good options for uh, still playing and still being able to participate in the whole combat session, but not having to, uh, you know, subjugate their morals. That's right. Those people you give the shotguns to. Cause right. <laughs> shotguns and beanbags. Yeah. They give them the sticky foam. Yeah. Or sticky foam. And grenades, because then they just roll them out there, and that's all, it's, all you need to do is roll them out there. So your, your doctor's only combat skill would be throwing. That would be enough. That'd be enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And or firing dart pistols. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And just think, at least that way you'd have some people you could question and maybe get some information about what's going on at right. the end of the day. Because ultimately, Fringeworthy is a game about exploration um, and being able to gather information uh, is, is is vital in any game in any scenario. So it's always best if you don't have to kill the very people that you need to talk to. You're listening to the Fringeworthy Podcast. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words.